Good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to jump right in verses 22 um, and down. Uh, before we go, I wanted to just, I'm going to pray one more time for this text because I feel like this is one of those texts that um, a lot of times people will just read through and I think we'll just kind of skip past what we want to skip past or, or read into or, or it gets a little hijacked. And I feel like I had a mentor once tell me when you're, when you're teaching through God's word, you know, sometimes you, you need to just explain it or define it and other times you need to apply it and you need to figure out how it plays out. And, and I feel like this is one of those texts that, that should be just defined, but I, I don't want it to just um, be one of those things that we hear about, like, oh, neat knowledge and move on. And so let me just pray again. God, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for uh, the fact that it's living and active and that you are uh, present and that you are capable of destroying the strongest stronghold in any of us, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we dig into your word, as we, as we look at what it may mean, that, it, that you would be honored by this, God, that you would be um, you would take this word that is living and active and you would, you would move it in our hearts and that your spirit would stir and we would uh, not just leave with knowledge, but we would um, leave excited knowing more, a little bit more of who you are and, and what it means to live that out on earth as it is in heaven right now, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 12, um, verses 22 on. Um, this is uh, Jesus had just kind of spent time talking to the Sabbath and now he's here and this, this man is brought to him. And so he, he's, he's brought to him, and again, I feel like sometimes we, we, we read something, we just, at least I do it. I read it, I'm like, oh, neat, move on. The fact that people are bringing people to Jesus to be healed is obviously truth of the fact that Jesus heals. And, and, and this text kind of, this first verse, I feel like gets hijacked. So we're just going to read it. It says, verses 22, it says, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and Jesus healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. Now, in, in, the, in the Bible time, a lot of times people would be considered demon-oppressed because of the fact that they were mute, because most of the healers at this time, most of the people felt, the Pharisees and the religious leaders felt like you needed to be able to say a few things to be freed from oppression. However, in this sense, we can know that this is probably very much a demon-oppressed person because of the context of where it's going. But I wanted to just pause on this for a second. Okay, so, because this, this verse right here gets hijacked by the rest of this text. In, es in essence, this is kind of just this, okay, Jesus heals someone. And I feel like similar to this time of year around Christmas, we, we, we skip over aspects. And, and Jesus just healed a person. I mean, this person was blind and couldn't speak, and most likely because he couldn't speak was, was incapable of, ta of hearing as well or had struggles in there. And, and, and Jesus heals this person. And I feel like most of us, when we come to this text and we read that, we just, because we do this, because we've read the Bible, because we were awesome at Awanas when we were younger, whatever it was, that we're like, yeah, I got the verses down. We hear a verse like this and just, it just, it means nothing to us. And I feel like if we don't understand what Jesus is doing right here, I feel like the rest of this text is going to be somewhat lost in, in its meaning as well. And that is that, that Jesus is, is healing someone. Like Jesus is taking someone who is broken by all senses and, and, and that day and age had little to absolutely no hope. And he heals him. And he brings about life and hope. And I feel like you and I today, we live in a world like, like even Jordan was just praying, like you, God brings hope to the hopeless. We live in a world of hopelessness. In fact, most of you are lacking hope in your lives from time to time. And I feel like if we don't just pause, and, and we'll get into the rest of the text, if we don't just pause on this for a second and realize that Jesus is doing something, then we'll miss the fact that Jesus wants to bring healing in your life. 
He wants to bring healings from the sicknesses and the pain and the brokenness and the despair you have. But so many of us, we just rip right past and like, oh yeah, Jesus healed someone. Cool, move on to the real stuff. Let's get to the meat of this. And I think we forget that, that, that this is like the purpose that God brought Jesus into is for healing for mankind, for his creation. And not just physical healing, but the healing of our broken, disgusting hearts in need of his grace and love and hope. And so Jesus has people being brought to him by the droves. Just the masses are bringing him to him because they fully believe, whether or not they believe he's the Messiah, they fully believe he can heal. So my question for you is, are you running to Christ for healing today? Are you, are you allowing him to heal and to break into the broken relationships and the brokenness in your life and the lack of hope? Because I feel like sometimes we just read that and we're like, oh, neat. And even if you look at the crowd, this is one of those times where, again, I, I feel like any time that the text does this, we should, we should pause in it. Because right after these people bring, Jesus heals the man, and he spoke and he saw. He didn't just heal one of them. He, like, he healed this guy. Okay? He did it all right there. And all the people were amazed. They were amazed. Like, you realize they've seen him do all sorts of amazing things by this point. Right? This, is, this isn't something new, but they still were amazed. They were amazed, in fact, so amazed that they said, can this be the Son of God? Can this be? And that is, that is a term that every single person back there knew meant, is this the Messiah? Is this the, the Messiah? Son of David, sorry. Means, is this the Messiah? And so every single person is enamored and amazed because, again, most of the time, because people couldn't speak, they would have been thought as impossible to heal. And Jesus heals instantly. We don't know what he does. We don't know how he does it this time, but it just happens. And the guy spoke, and he saw, and it was a miraculous thing. And the people were amazed. And I think the reason why I wanted to pause on that before we get in further is that I think a lot of us have lost the amazement of the fact that we are no longer blind. For those of us that have hope in Christ, we now get hope and joy and peace in ways that those without Christ don't. So I wanted to just pause on the fact that they were amazed this day after seeing a lot of other really crazy things. And they paused to be amazed at this. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebul and the prince of demons that this man casts out demons. And so the Pharisees, their very first feeling of Jesus doing this amazing thing is always doing it by Beelzebul, which is a, a, a Canaanite deity term that kind of came into place to, to um, define Satan or to talk about who he was. This is, this is essentially they're saying what Jesus is doing, he's doing it by Satan's power. What he's doing is he's doing this, he's, he's healing this person by Satan's power. And, and again, now I don't think that most of us would be, at least if you're in church, I'm hoping not that hard, but, but they attribute, they see this man who was, was most likely deaf, mute, blind, was, was really a lost cause, and he's completely healed, and instead of celebrating and being amazed because the crowd starts to say, this could be the Messiah, the Pharisees accuse Jesus of doing it for Satan. They bring this, this, this ridiculous accusation at him. And so then, in, the verse 20, um, in verse 25, we'll pick it up. Jesus say, I love that Matthew puts this in there, knowing their thoughts. Have you ever paused on that? Like, I mean, they were saying it, but he, but he didn't just hear him say it, but he knew their thoughts. I think this is important for us to recognize because some of us right now, we live as if Jesus doesn't know our thoughts. 
Right? We, we, we pray prayers. We try, and, we try and sell God on something, and we just kind of, well, I won't do it again. And even though we know in our heart or we know in our thoughts, like Jesus knows your thoughts. He, knew everything that you, he knows everything you think. He knew everything that they were thinking. And because he knows their thoughts, he goes into this um, very one-sided conversation with them. <laughs> he says, okay, so knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? I think it's interesting because he, he brings up this picture. He's basically his first point of why it's absolutely ridiculous that he's casting out demons by Satan's name. He's saying, why would Satan divide against himself? Why, why, would, he, why would he cast out his own people? Why would he divide? Because any, anyone who's divided, any kingdom who's divided cannot stand. They will fall. And because Jesus says this, I feel like it's worth just pausing on it for a second, is are you divided in any way? You know, I think it's really interesting. If you look at the church today, I feel like there's a whole lot of division. I mean, a whole lot of division. And we know, praise God, that, that despite our <laughs> ridiculous division and our, our mistakes and in spite of us, that God will still build his church. Christ will, will still build his church. But I feel like out of the, we hide behind disagreement and, and allow ourselves to divide. We feel like it's, it's okay to divide. And, and, and Jesus saying here, like, look, if you're divided against yourself, you will not stand. This begs the question your marriage is. How is a marriage ever going to stand if you as spouses are divided? It, we, get, we get divided and you, you spend time, you know, maybe it's, it's, you, it's, it's not blatant at first, but you make jokes, husbands, you guys who do this at work or around friends or maybe people that are acquaintances, and you make, you make snide comments about your wife, your bride, to try and fit in or to be cool. And what happens is as you start driving that wedge, you start dividing and Jesus, he, he kind of just throws a house in here, just throw in there. If it's divided, it cannot stand. And so then you're amazed later on. You're like, well, how, how did this, what happened? How's, you were divided. So is, is, it, is it your marriage? Is it in the church? Is it your gospel community? Where are you divided? Because a, a community divided against itself will not stand. And again, we have the promise of the church going long past our own mistakes. But I think it's worth just pausing on this a little bit and asking, like, wh why, why are we so divided? Look, this isn't a, a plea to say we can't disagree. Like, I love a good theological disagreement. Like, it's, it's good as long as it causes people to love God more and love others more. But I feel like a lot of times because we disagree, we flat out divide. And, and in my mind, I feel like that Satan's winning in that. He, he wins those little battles. He's winning, and maybe he's winning right now in your marriage. You're flat out divided. You're, you're at odds. You can't, can't make things work. Because you're, you're divided. You're not, you're, not, you're not focusing on the covenant that is made before God, the one that seals it and contains it and can, can carry it. It cannot be divided. So Jesus basically says that these Pharisees claim of him, him Casting out demons because of Satan is ridiculous. He's like, that's just, it's just asinine. doesn't make any sense. If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out is the next thing he says. 
which I love this because essentially what he's saying is your sons is a term in Israel. They would have known that that was like their followers or the children of Israel. So the Pharisees, there were people in their kingdom. There were people in this time that would do cast, they would cast out demons. They would do this. And so he's saying, well, then who do they cast them out by? And I love this, this question because it's, it's very rhetorical, but it also puts them in a really, really difficult spot. Because if they answer, well, our sons do it by Beelzebul too, then it puts them in trouble because the Pharisees had condoned and supported and, and backed these guys to do this. So they would do it. We see in some of Josephus' earliest writings of just some really weird ways at which they would cast out. And so they, they cast out these things. He's saying, so well then who do they do it by? If, if, I'm doing it, if I'm doing it by Satan's power, well then who are they doing it by? And so if they say, well, they're doing it by Satan's power too, well then that puts them in trouble because then they've been condoning and supporting them forever. Now, if they say that they're doing it by God's power, then that means, in essence, that they're saying that Jesus is as well. And just in case they were wondering what the answer was, Jesus goes on. And he says, but if it is by, oh, wait, sorry, pause. Before that, he says, therefore, let them be your judges. And I love that because he's saying, look, whatever you say about them, there's your judgment. There's the answer. There's, there's what you are. There's how you know if it's, of, if it's of God's kingdom or Satan's kingdom. Whatever, however you answer that question answers it. And so he, just to make sure there was no confusion, he goes on. And he says in verse 28, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so Jesus basically makes this play. He's like, look, if this, is, if, this is, if this is what's happening, if I'm doing this as a part of God's kingdom, then look, good news, the kingdom that you so longed and so waited for is here, and it's in me. I'm here, I'm present, and I'm doing it. The kingdom of God is here. And he's basically saying, you know what? The crowd was right when they called me the son of David. I'm here, and it's being done in God's power. And so he, he ruins their accusation by saying it's just ludicrous that you would think that a kingdom would divide itself and, and actually be successful. And then he goes, well, okay, if, if you don't want to agree with that, well, then who are your sons? Who are, who are, your, who are your healers and casting out? Who, who are they doing it for then? So you've got to answer that. And then he ends it with, look, I, I'm casting out in God's name, and therefore my kingdom is here now. My king, the kingdom of God is here now. And this is such a big statement because you've got to realize every single Israelite in this time longed for the Messiah much like they longed for the Messiah bringing them out of, or much like they longed for God to bring them out of Egypt. This is just this, this longing, this desire, this, this waking moment of just someday come. The problem with the Pharisees were is they didn't like the way in which Jesus came. It didn't fit in some of their traditions. It didn't fit in their mold and their expectations, and so therefore he couldn't have been the Messiah. But Jesus is saying, look, we, we're, at a, we're at an impasse here. You've got to make a decision. It says, but if, the spirit of, if it is by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then he poses this, this little parable question. He says, or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless, his first, unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. And Jesus isn't making a claim to be a thief here. He's not saying like, hey, thievery is really good. Here's how you want to, if you want to break into someone's house, here's what you do. That's not what he's doing here. He's actually saying, he's, he's using the, the relation of, of Satan is, is the strong man. He's saying, I have come in, in the context here, I've come in and I've subdued him and therefore I'm taking what is rightfully mine. My kingdom is here and therefore I am, I'm coming and I'm, I'm not working with him. We're not some kind of divide. I'm against him and therefore I am, I am dropping him out of the picture here. I'm going to come back and bring my kingdom here. 
I'm taking away the stronghold, that strong man. He's gone. And then Jesus says in verse 30 this, um, this, this verse that I wish we could kind of skip, or I like to sometimes read, whoever knows me, and then move on, because it's not a fun one. <laughs> Jesus says, whoever is not with me, he's kind of against me. No. Whoever's not with me, he's a nice person anyways. Whoever's not with me, he's my friend. No. He says, whoever's not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. See, Jesus takes this rhetorical, or this accusation that they have at him, and he answers it real quickly. And then he basically says, look, you got two choices. You're either with me or against me. And I love, I love that he says you either gather or scatter. See, because here's what Jesus is doing, is as he gathers you, he gathers you into community, into kingdom, into hope. But if you're of this world, you're scattered, hopeless, alone. The world doesn't gather together. It's every man for themselves. So you're either with me, and you're gathered, and you're in community, and you have the kingdom of God working in and through you, or you're scattered, you're out alone in this dark place. There is no middle ground. There's so many of us that say, well, I don't like, I, I don't really, you know, I, I don't think Jesus is, I wouldn't say he's doing it out of Satan, but I know what his word says, but I'm just not going to do that. I'm just not going to do that. I'm just going to, I'm going to, like, as if we can ride some fence. Jesus makes it really clear here. And like I said, I would love to read this a totally different way. Most of the time when you're not with me, you're, you're, you're still with me, but not against me. He just says it flat out. You're either with me or you're against me. Some of you in here have had lives, or you have friends or your family member, or you're, you're right now, you're like, you're trying to ride this fence. You're saying, I can, I can, I can say I'm with him and live absolutely opposite of that, which, I mean, his, his grace could cover, but that's not what he's saying here. He's like, look, you're either you're with me or you're against me. This, this just ruins the thought that there's so many ways to God. Oh, there's just lots of great ways. No, it's, it's through Christ and Christ alone. And so he says, you're either with me or against me. This is a huge statement. And then he goes on from here. And this is, this is, is we have a therefore right here. And so he basically, be go, after saying all these things, look, you, you accuse me of healing this man, which again is a really, really big deal. It's this very beautiful thing. You accuse me of this healing that I did as it being a work of Satan. I say that's ridiculous, and here's why. It's ridiculous because a, a kingdom wouldn't divide against itself. It's ridiculous because, well, then you have to deal with the fact that, that who are your people, who are your sons, um, heal, how, who are they casting them out in the name of then? And it's ridiculous because, look, I'm, I'm, I'm here to, to subdue the strong man, to bring my kingdom in place, and I am the Messiah. And so he's saying all those different things. And then he says, look, you're either with me or against me. And I love, I love that plea because I feel like it's in, in a way it's a bit gentle. It's a gentle, like, calling to those Pharisees. Like, he first, he, he lays out why they're just being ridiculous. You're wrong, and here's why. But then he, he pulls this, like, you're, look, you're either with me or you're against me. And I feel like that, like, I read that as, it's almost like a, a one last plea, like, look, Look, guys, you're either with me or against me, and it's, 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 it's me or no way, and, and you're missing something very massive. You think that, you, you think that you're in God's chosen people because you're just by birth alone, and I'm telling you it's something drastically different. I've turned this world upside down, and you're with me or against me, and I feel like that's just this gentle call, as, as direct and as harsh of a statement that is. 
to remind them, like, look, it's, it's me or, or, or not. And then he goes in and he says, therefore, therefore, in spite of, therefore, because of everything I just said, with me or against me, therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. And this, this is one of those sections of Scripture that is incredibly misinterpreted and incredibly misunderstood, and so we're going to try and unravel it a little bit. But before we do that, I just got to ask a, a question. Um, do you believe that God is a forgiving God? Not very confident. We're in a church on a Sunday morning. Do you guys believe that God is a forgiving God? Okay, good. That, that made me feel a little bit better. You had me nervous there for a second. Um, if God is a forgiving God, do you realize that that means that God forgives the most ridiculous, smallest little fibs ever? I mean, like that little fib that you told your child because you didn't want him to have candy, he forgives that, right? I do that, sorry. Um, <clears throat> you know, that also means that he, he forgives the rapists. He forgives the abusive people. He forgives those people that are out trafficking women for sex. He forgives your pride, your lies, your hatred. See, we don't like that as much. We love thinking of God as a forgiving God, but we forget just how much his forgiveness covers. And, and no one in here would raise their hand and say, I don't need God's forgiveness. Right? No one in here would claim that they're, they were holy. And maybe, maybe some of you would, but most people would say, I'm not. We're in church, and you all yelled, he's a forgiving God, so I'm assuming I'm just going to go along with this. That most of us believe that, that we were forgiven so much. But when we start picturing God as forgiven a rapist, doesn't sit well, right? But the Bible teaches that anyone, anyone, despite what they have done, despite how ugly, dark, and drastic, and, and horrific of the things they've done, in true confession and repentance of Jesus Christ as Lord, is pure as snow. Not known or identified by what they did, but identified as a child of God. And if we believe he's that forgiving, then we have to recognize that he can forgive the rapists and the murderers and the thieves. God's justice still sits in there, but so many of us hide behind his justice to justify our hate. But he's a really forgiving God. And I wanted to sit on that before we talk about unforgiveness because I feel like a lot of times we lose sight of just what God has forgiven. Like every single one of us don't deserve the forgiveness he's given us. We, I mean, how many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you like have, you've, you've made that sin, that choice, you did it again, and you've had this thought come in your head, you're like, ah, oh, there is no way he could forgive me again for this. I, I can't believe I did it again. And we're almost, we almost believe that we shouldn't repent and turn to God because it's like he just, there's no way he'll take me back. Have you ever had, you've ever had that thought? See, I feel like if we forget how forgiving of a God he is and we forget 
just how much of a healer he is. He's willing to heal all the brokenness in our heart. Then we read this next text with a lens of God isn't gracious enough, and therefore we start making it view things that we feel, bo- we feel better about ourselves to, to make it say. See, because most of us, right, it's like, wait, Jesus, wait, Jesus just said that there's a way to, there's a sin that's unforgiven. But wait, I thought Jesus, I thought he died on the cross for all sins and all would be forgiven. And he's, he right here, he's, wait, there's a way that forgiveness isn't happening. I want to just sit in the fact that don't forget, and maybe I tricked you a little bit, but don't forget how forgiving you just said God was. Don't forget in your own life how much he has forgiven over and over and over and over again in yourself. See, because if we forget that, then we may start viewing this text a little bit differently. So I want to talk about it real quickly. Jesus says that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the one unforgivable sin. We see this in Hebrews 6. We see this in 1 John 5. It talks about a sin leading to death. Um, we see it also in Mark and a couple of the other Gospels. And, and we also see... Um, the same thing, blasphemy. We see that Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 3, he says that I was a blasphemer. I was the greatest blasphemer ever, and, and I've been forgiven. Now, Paul's using that in the context of before he surrendered his life to Christ, but this is a real text, and here's, here's what I, let's just define it. Blasphemy is defiant, irreverence, the sin of intentionally and openly speaking against God or defaming him or mocking him. It's attributing God's work to Satan. It's rejecting the Holy Spirit, it's rejecting the work of God and saying, no, it doesn't exist. Now, I want to say this. Uh, rejecting, it's, it's rejecting the, holy work, the work of the Holy Spirit, confronting us of sin and leading us to salvation through Jesus Christ alone. So the Holy Spirit's purpose, the Holy Spirit's purpose is to make much of Christ, to lead us into repentance, to, to, to bring about life. We see in John 15, the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to make much of Jesus Christ, to point to him. And so what he's saying here in this text is, look, you're attributing my work as Jesus Christ. You're attributing my work. I'm not Jesus Christ. Just to clear that up. He's saying, you're attributing my work to Satan. Now, that's, look, here's the thing. That can be forgiven. You can make that. And there's lots of you in this room. At one point, I was one of them that was like, there is no God, and I could say all sorts of nasty things about him. There is grace for that. But then there's this, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think what, what this text is saying is, is that there is a way for us to live a, 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 make a choice, a lifestyle change of rejecting the truth of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit's purpose is to soften our hearts and to point us to the need of repentance and the work of Jesus Christ in our life, if we reject the Holy Spirit, we reject the way to salvation. We reject, we push away from that. Now, I want to say this very clearly because we love condemning ourselves as Christians. I don't think you can slip into blasphemy. Like, oh, well, I'm there. Who knows? I just, it just happened. Like, it's not like you're just walking along loving God one day and you're like, oh, no, I said it. Ah, man, there goes the rest of my life. Now what? Like, it's not this, it's not this like, oops, I can't believe it happened. Now, I do believe those before Christ, out of some, somewhat their own ignorance or their, their own pride, their, their, their covering, they say things that they really don't understand what they're saying, which is what Paul, the Apostle Paul said. Like, there's forgiveness for that. But you don't slip. You don't just accidentally like blaspheme. You're like, oh, there it goes. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. You're out for the rest of life. Like, it is, it's not just some accident. It's an intentional choice. It's I do not believe in the work of Spirit of God. I don't believe in Him. I don't believe in His purpose. I don't believe in Jesus Christ. And it's this continual rejection of the Spirit of God. Both in mouth, in action, it's running from Him. 
Jesus begins it with saying, it can be forgiven. And we, we see in 1 John 9, like, confess, and your sins can be forgiven. So we see this, idea, this, this, this fact that it can be forgiven. But, but blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, is a very serious thing. And Hebrews 6 is even harder to read. I'll let you guys will read it later. The comfort of a nice eggnog latte in the fire. No. <laughs> it's, not, it's not fun to read, but here, here's, the, here's the point. <clears throat> Jesus is making a very serious thing here. And you, we have to understand, if God is so gracious and so forgiving, then this is not to be taken lightly. And, and I think a lot of us, we, maybe most of us in this room, and, and I'll give you an out, most of us wouldn't sit in a spot of blasphemy. But as I, as I sat here, most of us aren't going to be in a spot where we're going to openly, like, revile and, and attribute the work of God to Satan and, and reject the Holy Spirit. We're not going to do that. Like I said, that's a, that's a conscious choice. That's a choice that I believe a lot of people make over and over and over again. And they just continue to reject and reject and reject. But since I, my assumption is that's not most of us, I guess before we go there, some of you, you're in that spot. And the very thing you're rejecting is the only thing that brings you hope. You're in this spot of just flat-out hatred towards God and anger and bitterness, and you're, you're rejecting his work. And he is the only one that can bring you hope and peace and joy. You're chasing all kinds of other things, and they all leave you empty. That's not some cliche statement that, oh, the pastor just has to say that. Like, you know it. If you're really, really honest with yourself right now, if you're in this spot where you're capable of blaspheming, then you know, you know that Jesus Christ is the way. Even the demons knew that Jesus was Lord. It wasn't confusing to them. You're just, you're choosing to reject. Now, the, the, the rest of us, those of us that aren't in that room, I feel like there's, there's something that should be said to us in, in a couple ways. First off is I feel like um, I feel like we should be a little bit more offended of the blasphemy of God in our culture. Now, I say that, and I hang on. I say that because some of you are like, yes, I can put those hate signs up. No, that's not what I'm talking about. <clears throat> I, feel like, I feel like there's a whole lot of blasphemy happening in our culture, and I'm not just saying, oh, America, and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, I'm not saying that. The point is, is there's a lot of downright, outright hatred towards God happening in our culture and we condone it and we laugh with it and we sit idly by as it happens as if it's not a big deal. You realize like when Jesus used this word here, every single Jew went and like froze because that's a really, like that was like death. Blasphemy of God was, was, well, you're dead. That's how that went. It was a very serious thing not to be taken lightly and here, here we're saying, Jesus is saying this and I feel like today we, we post things on Facebook to be relevant or cool or we, we act like we're a certain way to try and be this. And, and we're sitting in a spot of absolute rejection of the work of God and we're, we're okay with that. Now, I'm not saying that you're blaspheming. Hear me on this. You don't just accidentally do that. But I'm saying a lot of us, we just kind of go idly by as if it's okay that people talk about the God who created us and gave us so much grace and so much love and so much forgiveness as if it's okay that they do that. And I'm not saying we need to pick up a sword and start doing that. Jesus already ruined that hope with Peter. I'm saying that maybe we should be a little bit more confident in the Spirit of God. Maybe a little bit more confident in who He is and what He's doing. Maybe just, maybe just not be okay with the state of the way that the world is, when, especially since God has gathered us into His kingdom to bring the hope and the light to this world. At the end of Matthew, we'll get there in like 30 years, but Jesus has this, this statement where He says, look, you're all called, we're all called to go and make disciples. See, he gathered you for a purpose, not so that you could 
sit by that fire with that eggnog latte and be all happy and cozy, although there are times like that, that's great, but he gathered you for the purpose to bring hope to this world. See, you realize in your life all the brokenness and shame and guilt and nastiness that you felt was, was taken completely away by the work of the cross. And therefore, you're like, I can, I can now live. And, and the point is, is that now you get to be that hope and light in person around your family, your friends, your coworkers, classmates. I feel like some of us, we just need to be maybe a little bit, just a little bit more on guard with the way people speak about our God. Like I said, I'm not saying this is an excuse to go out and just fight with people and be jerks. I'm saying like we shouldn't, we shouldn't just sit idly by while we watch brokenness start making its headway through our world and our family and our friends. And then the last thing I want to talk about, and I want to be really clear, because again, Christians, we love to condemn ourselves, which is not what we're supposed to do. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, he will convict us. He will convict us of our sins. And I know that, that if you have the Spirit of God in you, you felt that conviction. And sometimes you push really hard against it. But I feel like in, in my life and in, in, in your life, if you've been following Christ, in some way or another, now I'm not saying you're blaspheming, so let's just pretend that that word wasn't there for a second. But I feel like at times we reject the Spirit of God in our own life. I feel at times we reject and we say, you know what, I know what God's Word says about relationships and about purity, but I just, you know what, I just, I don't care because I really love him or I love her. Or we're going to get married anyways. I know what God's Word says about drunkenness, but I just, I just don't care because I feel better. Or it's fun. Or it was just one time. And I feel like, again, it's not, it's not an issue of blasphemy, but I feel like a lot of times in our lives when we're not careful, we reject the work of the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. And here's, here, here's the problem with that. I don't think necessarily, again, defining blasphemy, I don't, here's the problem with rejecting. In my own life, if I continue to reject the work of the Holy Spirit, what ends up happening is, is I come across texts where I see Jesus as healer, and it means nothing to me. I just go, yeah, that's neat. And I start living my life, and, and honestly, I look a little bit too much like this world, and I believe that my, my salvation is, is seated in Christ, and therefore I'm saved there, and I, we can get into whole sorts of theology debates, and you can email um, someone that wants to talk about that. But, <coughs> but my point is, is that as, as we continue to reject these aspects of the Spirit, we choose to, to not love God out of obedience, I, I feel like we get in a really dark spot. And we start running from the very God who created us, who knows what we want, who knows what we need, and who knows what he created us to do. And again, it's not, I don't think it's a blasphemy thing there, but I think, I think in a lot of ways it is, a, it is a rejection. And one of the ways in my life that I do this is I feel like I, <coughs> I will come to a stage of life where I feel like I've kind of arrived. Like, okay, I, I did a good job. I can check that off. I'm good to go. And whether it's a set of scripture, like I studied it, I know it, move on. And I feel like, that's, this is a, a, maybe a bad example, but it's such a, it's such a good example when I came to this text and that I don't really know much about anything. <laughs> and God is still going to continue to grow and work in me. And if I just assume that I've read it once and I know enough, then I feel like I'm not allowing the Spirit to, to, to prove to me, to show me, to, to point out who, who Christ is more and that his word is living and active. And then as I come across Scripture that I've already read, I start just minimizing things. And you come across something like, oh, whoever's not with me is against me. And it's, oh, that should, that should, that should affect us. And his word, when we read it, should, should stir in us. The Spirit's wanting to do something mighty in us, not for our glory, but for, for the glory of God. 
And I feel like as we continually move forward in our life and we choose to just ignore the Holy Spirit, we choose to um, disobey God or, or, or give in to the sin and not repent, I feel like what ends up happening is we end up missing a massive aspect of the whole point of why God gathered us. That's to be the light in this world. And so some of you right now, you're in this room and you're like, man, I, I wouldn't say that Jesus did this and, and I would never say it was of Satan. And, and my assumption is great. You're, you're not blaspheming. <laughs> but it doesn't mean we're without sin. Right? It, doesn't even, it doesn't even mean, in fact, in 1 John 5, what was really interesting is when he's talking about um, the blasphemy, the sin that, that leads into death, he's, he's using it in the context of prayer. And he's saying, pray for your brothers and sisters so that they may be healed. Pray for them to be turned if it's a sin not leading to death. And then if it is a sin leading to death, it's not that he's saying don't pray for them, but he's just saying, look, there's sometimes you're going to pray and it's not going to happen. There's some people you're going you're gonna to hope. Some of you right now, you have hope for your, your spouse, for your kids, for your husband, for your wife, for your family members, for your work, coworkers or friends. And like, you may pray and pray and pray and it may never happen, but it's not an excuse to not pray. The point is, is that we are to we are to press in to God. And so, as the as the band comes up and we, we worship some more, I, for those of you that that are here that that believe as Jesus Christ's work on the cross and believe in what He has done for you and the Holy Spirit has has taken up residence in you, has given you a new heart, and and your life is is just waylaid with poor choices and sins right now. I want to encourage you that if you claim to be without sin, you would be sinning. First John tells us that as well. But it's never too late to repent or turn. The very grace that, that was revealed to you at the very beginning of, of coming to Christ is still very much present for those of you and your choices that you make that are opposite of God's will. Stop believing the lie that he won't forgive you this one time. For those of you that, that are in here and you're like, man, I, I feel like there I have friends that, that will outright just be flat-out rude and hateful towards God, and they're flat-out blaspheming, well, then pray for God to give you a way to be the light through word and action in their life. Pray for God to give you the, the strength to show them that, look, what they're rejecting is the only thing that will bring them hope. For those of you that are in here and you're just flat-out running from God, you're like, man, I don't believe in this. I don't even know why I came. I'm not even sure I want this. You're rejecting the, the one thing that brings you hope. You're, you're running from the only God that is true and living and active, created you, that knit you together in your mother's womb. You're, you're running from hope. And my encouragement would be to you is um, you probably don't have it all figured out like I don't have it all figured out. But maybe because you're here, you're wondering if the grace is, is present. Well, the good news is Jesus says it is. doesn't matter how much you've done here. His grace is still available. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for your truth, your word. As difficult as it may be to think of, of unforgiveness, God, I pray that we would never forget the ridiculous amount of forgiveness you've given. And you give and you extend over and over again in my life and the life of everyone in this room. God, for those in this world that are rejecting you, it's so obvious, so apparent. We see it on TV, in life, at work. We see it all over. We see so many people that are outright hateful to you, God. Now, would you use us to be the light in their life? Would you use us to bring them to a spot of repentance? God, for those of us that have just sat idly by why friends or families have 
have blasphemed your name, would you give us the courage to show um, them truth in a loving and gracious way? God, for those in the room that just, um, they claim you, just been uh, walking a long, long ways away from you right now. I can't help but think of the prodigal son and how there is, there is no distance too far for you. There is no, um, there's no sin too far that your grace is still sufficient and, and, and is lavished on those that come to you. And so I pray for, for those of us that, that the little ways we reject, I mean, not, not blaspheme, but the ways that we reject you, God, would you, would you break down our pride? Would you break down our arrogance and our, our um, selfishness, our self-centeredness, and bring us to a spot of uh, humility, a spot where we could be uh, more used for your kingdom's glory and, and look more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.